Welcome to the Art of Being a Mum podcast, where I, Alison Newman, a singer, songwriter and Aussie mum of two, enjoys honest and inspiring conversations with artists and creators about the joys and issues they've encountered while trying to be a mum and continue to create. You'll hear themes like the mental juggle, changes in identity, how their work's been influenced by motherhood, mum guilt, cultural norms, and we also stray into territory such as the patriarchy, feminism, and capitalism. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, along with a link to the music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our supportive and lively community on Instagram. I'll always put a trigger warning if we discuss sensitive topics on the podcast, but if at any time you're concerned about your mental health, I urge you to talk to those around you, reach out to health professionals or seek out resources online. I've compiled a list of international resources which can be accessed on the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. The Art of Being a Mum would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on as being the Boendick people in the Berrin region. I'm working on land that was never ceded. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It's great to have you here from wherever you're listening, whether it be Australia, United States or in Ireland. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Claire Tonti to the show. Claire is a musician and podcaster from Melbourne, Victoria, and she's a mum to two children. Claire was right into music in her early 20s and has come back to it later in life. She recently released her album called Matrescence, which she began writing at the beginning of 2022. She returned to music after having long COVID and being at her lowest point mentally and physically. Her album, Matrescence, was inspired by what she was feeling and going through postpartum, and a lot of the songs are inspired by people, and women particularly, who she had listened to speak over many years of podcast interviewing. Claire hosts two podcasts, currently Taunts and Suggestible, with her husband, and she's previously hosted Just Make the Thing. She runs a podcast company with her husband, who is a comedian, a podcaster and a YouTuber. Claire is an ambassador for COPE and the Gidget Foundation and she is so passionate about supporting mothers. When you listen to this today, you can tell that Claire is a podcaster and an interviewer as she somehow manages to turn the tables on me during this episode and at times it's hard to tell who exactly is interviewing who. This is a really vulnerable and emotional episode with both Claire and myself sharing a lot of intimate details regarding our childbirth experience and postpartum. This episode contains mentions of postnatal depression, anxiety, prenatal anxiety, birth trauma and postnatal depletion. Throughout today's episode, you'll hear snippets of Claire's music, tracks taken from her brand new album called Matrescence, which is available on all of the streaming platforms now. We can head to the link in the bio to purchase them. Please take care of yourselves and enjoy the episode. Our hearts beating through time These hands, yours and mine Beating, beating in time Same rhythm, same kind Cross the white brown plains Clickety-clacking 
Claire, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you being a part of the podcast. It's a pleasure to welcome you today. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a joy to be here. I've been really looking forward to this. Oh, good. Excellent. Actually, I have been looking forward to to chatting to you too because as a musician, I love talking to musicians. Like I love talking to everybody, but, you know, (laughs) it's always good to you know, converse in something that you know. <laughs> yeah, you kind of get the weird and wild world, don't you, of like being a muso and all the different like personality stuff and egos and just like <laughs> the magic of it too, you know. I think yes, it's great. Yeah. It's really nice. And also to speak to someone who else is a mum and a musician too. I think yes. that's a particular hybrid of yes. Being, yes, yes. It's its own whole new world really, isn't it? It absolutely is. Exactly right. Exactly right, Alison. So, yes, you're a musician. Uh People know that now. (laughs) But you're also also a podcaster. And I think Mm -hmm. you do two two podcasts. Is that right? I do, yeah. How do you manage all that? (laughs) Not well. Like I think a lot of parents and mothers particularly would say, um, it's a total mess all the time (laughs) and a rolling feast. But um, it's also been so much fun. I sort of, um, I started uh, Just Make the Thing with my first podcast, which is How to Start a Thing and Keep on Making It. And that was an experiment to kind of find my voice. And if I even could make a thing, I wasn't doing music at that point. Had two little kids and running a podcast company, doing all the behind the scenes because my partner's a podcaster and a YouTuber. And so after I was a primary school teacher and then went on maternity leave, I sort of started there helping him to monetize his show and then other local comedians around the traps and had convinced myself that I wasn't a creative person, but that my role in life was to help other people to be creative. And that's what I loved about teaching and what I kind of built my world as. Um, And for some reason, didn't think I deserved my own space for creativity and music was certainly the biggest and scariest thing for me. And so I, also convinced myself that it wasn't really something I could do and I wasn't good enough at it so I yeah. probably start, did music in my early 20s and then um came back to it and so mm-hmm. yeah all that is to say I started with um just make the thing which was just this kind of little dipping my toe in the water and yep. um then I started Suggestible, which is a recommendation show with my husband where we recommend things to watch, read and listen to and we argue every week <laughs> he brings his post-apocalyptic Star Wars like like vibe yeah and I bring my books written by mainly women and and rom-coms and we kind of like discuss it he actually to be fair he also brings a lot of content made by diverse voices and Mm -hmm. he's got a really big depth of knowledge in that space so it's actually been a beautiful show to do a lot of people listen with their partners which has been really beautiful as well and um you recommend recipes and that kind of thing so it's sort of comedy and recommendations and mm-hmm. then Taunts, I began a couple of years ago now, and that's my interview show where I look at emotions, really, and mm-hmm. I talk to people about their stories. Um, yeah, really, I'm interested in women's stories and diverse voices, activists, writers, experts and thinkers, mm-hmm. um, and deeply feeling humans, really. Uh, and that's been the biggest joy to create that show. I'm currently working on season four at the moment. And interestingly, as I've grown in this space, I've found that I'm now talking more and more about women's health and hormones 
and yeah. interviewing women about chronic stress and how to make it all work as um, mothers. Even I interviewed Jane Harper and that was the thing we talked about for ages, which was how to deal with mother guilt and mm-hmm. the complex nature of all of that stuff. So even the people you think that have it all figured out definitely don't. That was a long-winded <laughs> way of saying, yes, I do two podcasts. <laughs> no, that's a fabulous answer. I love that. So I can breathe easy. I watch you making space from me like we're poles apart. But what you've done is break me down so far I can't get up. Cause you're so cold now, just cold. Tonts is obviously like a play on your, your surname, Tonty. Um, where is that surname from? Where's, what's that heritage of that? So, yeah, yeah, my full surname is Tonti Filippini, um, but I just shorten it to Tonti. And then my friends call me Tonts. It's been a nickname that's been around for a while. So that's why I use that. Um, I love it. Yeah, yeah. My dad is Italian. Yeah, cool. And I love that, like what I'm finding through this podcast, it's just so awesome to talk to other people. Like just like we were saying before about, you know, the mother, uh, the mother um, musician, like there's all these different worlds and like I'm discovering so much stuff that I never knew before and learning so many things I never knew and seeing different perspectives. And I guess you'd, you'd experience that too with talking to so many different people. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I've learned so much. I think that um, now I've released this album called Matrescence, um, which I started writing at the beginning of last year. And I realised I came to music um, after long COVID and I was really at my lowest point. And I'd been speaking and talking to women for a really long time by that point and listening to a lot of different voices and artists and writers and creatives, but not Mm -hmm. actually really stepping into my identity as an artist. But I think all of that listening and all of those conversations um, kind of came together for me um, at that time. And when I couldn't watch TV, I couldn't, I was really so depleted after having my second baby during COVID um, and also homeschooling and doing all the things that we all did during that mm-hmm. time, particularly if you had kids, but everyone had their own struggles. And, you know, as musicians and artists as well, it, it was a really, really challenging time for the industry overall. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I, when I got like long COVID and had postnatal depletion and I really just could parent and rest, I couldn't work Um then music kind of came back into my life as a way to listen. And then I developed this cough. And as a podcaster, a cough is not very good to have, like real yeah. coughing fits. And yeah. so I decided to go and get some singing lessons. And I was still telling myself it was just because I had this cough that I needed to figure out. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly after I started singing lessons with my teacher, Bianca Fenn, um, she saw my songwriting and um said did you know you're a songwriter and what are you doing with them yeah um but I do think so many of the songs that came from that place I took them to her nephew Ezekiel Fenn who's a music producer and initially it was going to be two songs we'd record and very quickly it exploded to be 11 songs about I didn't realize what matrescence was at that point but it was really just about what I was feeling and going through but a lot of those songs are inspired by the people and the women particularly who I've listen to speak over years and years and I think that's the beauty of podcasting you get these kind of 
lovely microcosms of um, connection with people that you may never speak to otherwise Mm. who are doing work that you really admire or that you're interested in. You learn so much and then as an artist and as a creative, you almost like absorb it all like a sponge and it sits there somewhere in the back of your brain. I always think I have like a spider that lives in the back of my brain collecting things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like a bower bird in there. Yeah, just gathering it all up. Yeah. And as a mum, you don't have all the time to like, I don't know, wait for the right moon to come out in the sky to like write your beautiful sonnet or whatever. So yeah. it just sits there collecting things while I'm busy doing other stuff. And I think for me, it was like 15 years of busy doing other stuff. So when I finally let that spider out, it sounds strange, but you know, it was <laughs> yeah. suddenly like, excellent. Here's all these things and all these mm-hmm. stuff that you've learned and heard about from other women and also your own journey. So yeah, um, yeah podcasting, it's a, it's a magic space to be working mm. in. I can definitely relate to that. Like I found that by hearing other people's perspective on their creativity, it allowed me to be a lot more free with mine and not have these like I'm, I can be quite a perfectionist and have these standards that things have got to be a particular way, which is good in some respects with my music. But then in other, like my painting, I, I never thought I could paint or draw because I it was didn't look very good. So that was my mm. thing. Oh, I won't do it because I can't do it sort of thing. And then just, I mean, it sounds really obvious, but there's a lot of different kinds of painting. But because I'd never really delved into it or talked to anyone about it, it just was the, one of these things I, I just didn't do. And just by talking to people and realising that you can do whatever you want, like, and then yeah. I just went, oh, wow, this is great. And so now I enjoy that as part of like, it's almost like um, a bit of a self-care sort of thing where if I'm processing, you know, a situation or emotions or whatever, I, I will often just be drawn to the painting side of things. So it's become a really good tool for me you know, to look after myself and my mental health. So, yeah, like I would never have d- tried that or done that if I hadn't have talked to so many people about it. So that's been really good for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. I think that is so magical. And having that kind of tactile outlet with the paint and the colour, which I yeah. can just imagine that would be so soothing. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I do really believe deeply that creativity in the arts is a big tool in the toolkit of healing. And I think, and particularly um, matrescence, for those who don't know, is a word that um, describes the complex transition to motherhood that happens through adolescence, similarly to adolescence. So if we think of hormone shifts, identity crisis, body changes, social networks change, who we are as a person shifts, the the way people see us in the world shifts Mm -hmm. when we become an adolescent. It's the same in matrescence. Um, And I think there's a really powerful um, way that art and creativity um, can really help women and people who give birth to move through that transition. And I think in our culture, it's often underrated and undervalued. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it would be, it was the last thing I turned to when actually it was the thing that worked for me. And it's not the, you know, obviously there was diet related changes and medication is also really amazing and going to see medical professionals, but yeah, creativity cannot be underestimated mm-hmm. for a second. Yeah. Are you watching with your fingers? Your eyes don't want to lose mine. Smoking rollies, playing music, five flickers, leather jacket. Do you need me? 
And just on that, like the matrescence has become a word that's very um, common now, I suppose. And it's only been in the last few years, I think, that it's really been something that people talk about and refer to in that way. Um, and I kind of feel like, you know, you're talking about the teenager is a similar sort of comparative time with all the changes. Like, I feel like we give teenagers a break. Like we say, oh, you know, they're really struggling because it's this time, you know, the hormones are changing. You know, we seem to give them a lot of sort of give them a break. But when it comes to mums that are struggling, it's like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to have a baby, you know, like it's, it's almost like suck it up because that's your body and like you're a woman, that's what you're supposed to do. So just do it. You know, do you feel like, is that a, that's not just me feeling that, is it? Alison, not at all. It's our culture. It's the culture we live in and it's not the culture that exists across the globe. Mm. Um, I know, for example, in India and in China and a lot of other traditions, Bali have a lot of traditions like this too. A woman, when she gives birth, particularly for the first time, is seen as a newborn, just like her newborn is. There's a phrase, the newborn mother that I love. Because really you are, you're childlike. You don't know what you're doing yet. You don't know how to feed your baby yet. You don't know what this new body is even going to look like or what it's going to mean. There's milk coming out your boobs. How did that even happen? And often even in the lead up, the the word matrescence should be spoken about before women or people who give birth even embark on parenthood. Mm -hmm. It's a really huge transition to make. And in our culture, we just push women out now out of the hospital after two days and say, figure it out yourself and you'll be right. And part mm-hmm. of it is underfunding, but I also think it's a loss of village. Mm-hmm. And it's also a loss of um, and a devaluing of wisdom and knowledge mm-hmm. that used to be passed down through generations. And so in those traditions, like there's a beautiful woman who works at our local bookstore, Mira, and I went in there with my album and we were talking and she said, yeah, when I was a, becoming a mother, my mother moved in with me for 40 days. I wasn't allowed to leave the bed. She brought all the food to me, really warming foods, cleaned my house, cooked. We had a whole lot of people coming in. Yeah. I All I had to do was feed my baby and then oh. and then they would put her down. And so she said during the pandemic, she prepared her bags to do that for her own daughter and then couldn't go because of COVID, which, and there's just so many micro mini stories of tragedy through COVID. And, Mm -hmm. but one of the big overarching stories is that all the problems that were there inherent with the lack of care for mothers, the lack of honoring of their journey, the lack of knowledge around what they actually need. And let me tell you, it's not nurseries and Pinterest boards and oh. special bugaboo prams. Yeah. It's it's psychology before they even get to start to become pregnant. It's really knowing themselves, it's understanding they can advocate themselves in the birth for themselves mm. in the birthing room. Yeah. They can be in charge of their birth and not hand it over to the doctors who technically know best in inverted commas. They know their body and they know what they need. And should be empowered to know all of their options so that when they get in there, if there's someone in that room who isn't being supportive of them, they can tell them to F off. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also then moving from there, having postpartum planning. So that's where I hadn't even heard of the word doula when I had my kids. And mm. then I think I thought the word doula was like a bougie thing that maybe Gwyneth Paltrow did in Hollywood, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. like. Why would you do that when actually it's just a woman who understands the process of birth and can advocate for you if your partner doesn't know and often 
your partner is a bloke and he is just as much in the dark as you are. So having someone there that can also then come and care for you afterwards if you don't have that village support. So all of that is to say matrescence was coined in the 1970s by Dana Raphael um, and she's an amazing um, anthropologist and then brought back um, in kind of the early 2000s by Arely Athen um, and she was an academic based in Canada um, and she brought that term back, but it's coming back again. And I mm. think it's really because COVID highlighted just how ginormous the problems are in a culture that doesn't care for mothers and honours them in the way they should be. And um, now with this knowledge that I have, I totally get what I went through when I had my kids. Mm. And I just think so many women, when they hear that term, go, oh, okay. It wasn't just that I needed to suck it up and I couldn't hack it and, you know, I couldn't be that perfect mother and I was going to, I just thought I'd love it every minute and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, or conversely, I love it, but I'm different to who I was and maybe my friendships look different and my body looks different and just understanding that I think is powerful. I will say as well, and I wonder if you resonate with this, that just like some people went through adolescence and were bloody great at it, like just knew what to wear, knew how to go to, I don't know, knew the right parties to go to, seemed to have these glamorous photos of them, you know, just like bloody loved it. Yeah. Really rocky adolescence. <laughs> like very awkward times, terrible outfits, incredibly nerdy. And I love that girl now so much because I think <laughs> she was so unique and weird and great and kooky and wrote a lot of poetry and, you know, yeah. just thought, didn't know who she was and glorious. But I just think that's the same for women. Like some yeah. women are going to go through matrescence and love it and yeah. some are going to struggle and it's a huge spectrum. And then on the other end of it is a question I've been asking a lot I don't have an answer to and I'm not an expert. I'm just a, I'm a mother and a musician with my story. But what is um, a sane reaction to a really difficult time in your life in matrescence. So what's a very difficult matrescence versus what is clinical diagnosis of postnatal depression or psychosis and mm-hmm. things that need medical intervention. And I think it's a really gray area and mm. something I've been speaking to professionals about now. And I'm interested to talk more about on my podcast. Cause I think yeah. some of the rocky part of that early motherhood is just like of course you're finding this hard because it is bloody hard Mm. um but then there's also a line there of when is it appropriate and medication and other options are really necessary Oh, I see you like clouds in bloom Like my face when you walk into the room Like the birds from the blue I'm all in love with you Dun, 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 dun You're the icing on my cake I'm the sugar in my face. I've become an ambassador for COPE and also the Gidget oh. Foundation. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I'm really passionate about letting um, women and people out there know about their services so cope has an amazing e-directory where you can put in your postcode and it will show you all of the services available in your area at for whatever you need in that um, early parenthood perinatal space Mm -hmm. Um, and lots of research there's also a great app that you can download on your phone so you can do screenings for postnatal depression privately 
rather than having to go to a maternal health nurse necessarily. And there's wonderful maternal health nurses too, but can often be very confronting and sometimes you feel a bit judged. Mm. And so doing that privately is great. So COPE is amazing. And the Gidget Foundation have free counselling available online. So you can call a number and speak to someone immediately, as do Panda. And I would really Mm -hmm. encourage anyone listening to this to suspect they have a friend who's struggling, a family member who's struggling, if they're struggling. Um, It doesn't matter how long ago you had your baby either. um, that Or um, whatever you went through in this kind of perinatal mental health space, those services services are available. So um, anyway, I keep giving you very long-winded answers I oh, must be a podcaster no, no it's, it's really good because you, you say you you there's so many points you've raised and I keep writing them down to come back to which is it's cool but yeah thank you for mentioning that and that's really cool that you're, you're an ambassador for them because um I feel like I was actually talking to someone yesterday and I can't now I can't even think who they were this is really bad when you talk to so many people it all runs around in your head but the same thing like I, I hark back to my days of 15 years ago um, a prenatal class was basically teaching you, you had to watch a video of a natural birth um, just to freak you out a bit more and to scare all the dads. Um, and basically the extent of, you know, they taught you how to change a nappy. They gave you hints on settling, which were one of them was run your baby's pram over a, um, a like a lump on the floor. Like, mm. and I was like, okay, I, I, now I, I realize how dumb that is. Uh, sorry, not dumb unhelpful some of it was and the they got a guy to come and talk from beyond blue and all I remember from him was saying oh yeah it's going to be a bit rough um yeah so good luck with that like I literally remember him saying so good luck with that and I just thought afterwards when like this is the culture of of what if you know you're giving mothers this is what this Mm. is normal to give mothers and yeah, looking back on that, I think, my God, no wonder I struggled and just about lost it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing you said too, and I was actually thinking that the same thing when you were talking about it, about the fine line or the difference between just having a really crap experience in that matrescence period mm-hmm. or when does it get to that point of that, you know, needing medical intervention or whatever. And I was thinking the same thing. I was like, wow, that sounds like my first experience um, with my first son I kept saying, like my husband said to me, oh, I reckon you've got that thing they talked about in, in prenatal class. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't have postnatal depression. I'm just having a bad day. You know, and everything I could justify, I could say, oh, no, it's just because I had a bad sleep or, oh, no, it's just because he didn't settle. Or, you know, I was telling myself these stories. Um, and I even managed to slip through the cracks with the the nurse that come around to and did like one of those Q10s or whatever they are, like the screener. You know, have you felt like this, like, oh, I think it was like every day for the past two weeks. It's like, no, I haven't, not for the past two weeks, but it's been a lot of days. But because I didn't meet those criteria, I, it was like, see ya, have fun. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That still has a lot to be said for that sort of intervention as well. But I wonder if that was it. It was just a really difficult period. And then because I had the next one, so there's seven years between my kids for the, that reason of having not the greatest start, but I got really bad postnatal depression and and I was medicated and, and almost hospitalised, but we didn't do that because I, I wouldn't have been able to keep breastfeeding. So, yeah, you sort of wonder if that first experience had have been a little 
more positive and more like sort of picked up by professionals or whatever that I maybe could have avoided the second one. I don't know. But... Mm. Do you um, know, I'm so sorry, Alison. I mean, I uh, had a really, it's so hard. Yeah. And do you know what I think too? I think we have to be really kind to ourselves because like with each baby, it's a new start of matrescence each mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Which I don't think people say either. You think oh, I've yeah. had one. So the second one, easy. I've done it. Like I'm, I've worn in, you know, like I'll yeah. slip right out and it's all yeah. fine. <laughs> Even no. the difference between having, no, it's not. And then the difference between having one and two is massive. And, mm. for, and for each woman, it's really different or each person, I should say, especially. And I'm just so sorry that happened to you. I think it's much more common than we think. And I know now the rates are even higher from COVID. Mm. And I do think um, that the system is just failing women emotionally and spiritually, particularly. Mm. I think it's really undervalued just how important it is to really care for mothers and that caring um that needs to begin in the early part of like your life really before you even start to have kids and then through the transition in the hospital setting and then afterwards um and then the spaces that are okay to for you to actually be able to talk about how you're feeling I agree I mm. I suspect I had postnatal but it went undiagnosed for that reason because yeah. it was like are you feeling like this every day well no not really and also you've asked me so many questions about my baby and he wasn't putting on weight and he had really bad reflux and I was advocating so much for him. Mm-hmm. I felt so scared that they would be like, well, she's a bad mother. She's not doing well. He's not putting on weight. And now she's like, what feeling like this. And mm-hmm. you just feel like you can't be honest. And even if you are honest, what support is there for you? Yeah. To, you know, it is yeah. um really, really super challenging. But I think the first step is, talking to someone about it and Mm. having someone on the phone I think I didn't know at the time that for me having someone to reach out to on the phone who's like a qualified counsellor who can talk to you and they're not you know without judgment where you can Mm. be honest and yeah and all that stuff and just being real about the fact that yeah it's really hard yeah yeah it's really hard (laughs) It was like, yeah, I, I I couldn't I couldn't imagine having another child. Like I just kept seeing myself in difficult situations. Like when I think about having a baby, it was all negative. And that went on for, you know, almost seven years. Like it was just I couldn't get past that. It was bizarre. Yeah. But now I've gotten two of them and it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Has it changed as they've gotten older? How old how old are they now? So fifteen and nearly eight. So, yeah, it's, I wouldn't recommend seven years age gap if you're deliberately thinking of age gaps. <laughs> no. They get, they get on, they get on well at different times, depending on who's in charge or who wants to do a particular thing because they're, you know, completely different places in their lives can be a little tricky. But I think the older that Digby, my youngest, the older he gets, the easier it's been for them to get on well, I think. Mm. It's probably a fair thing to say. Drawing my life side and I'm ready to begin I'll find a flat by a car taking the view 
that's what I was starting to say about who I was speaking to yesterday, that when we're, when we're thinking of becoming parents and like you were saying, you think about what pram you're going to get and what, you know, making your Pinterest board to make your nursery really beautiful. And it's like, that should be like the last thing we do. Like it should be ingrained in our culture that you, you search up, you have these support services in your phone, you know, you know where you're going to go if you need help. You have people who are going to make food for you or, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's, it's the after the birth stuff when you're home that you need the help with. It's, and yeah, the lady I spoke to yesterday, Mary, she said she had this beautiful nursery and this beautiful cot and the baby never went in the cot. She ended up giving it away. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I guess capitalism and commercialism drives that need for things to be new and pretty and perfect and whatever and this Instagram world where everything's got to look really good. But, you know, getting back to the basics of actually caring for each other Um and actually, I'm I'm crapping on a fair bit now, but um, but what I was, what I noticed when you were talking about the culture, I'm sorry, I can't remember what culture it was, but the lady you knew from your bookshop, yeah. and that basically all she had to do was feed her baby, nurse the baby, and then they'd even settle it and do everything else. And mm-hmm. when I was in the worst throes of my um, postnatal depression, that was literally all I could do. I would feed him and give him back to my husband and he would do everything else with him. So it was like I was putting myself in that position without even, you know, consciously Mm -hmm. realising I just needed so much help and I was just, that was all I was capable of. And I couldn't even see myself leaving my bedroom. I had to be in my bed. You know, it was Mm -hmm. like this safe cocoon. So, yeah, I was creating, without even knowing, I was creating that environment for myself, (laughs) which is really, Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting to hear how did that change for you like over the trajectory was there a point where you started to feel like I've got a handle on this now I'm starting to heal it it took a while like we have I'm in a regional um, town in Mount Gambia in South Australia so we don't have a huge amount of services but again I didn't know they were there till I needed them so it was this scramble you know, when you need it, it's like, oh my gosh, Googling things and whatever. But I was pleasantly surprised that we do actually have more services than I thought. Um, so I had a, a a mental health nurse who would come over and just sit with us and she wouldn't say anything. She was just there. And it, it I got really familiar. My, I think my husband, he found it a bit tricky because he wasn't, you know, obviously he was in a different mental state than me so he found it a bit weird that this lady was just sitting in our lounge room with us but I really liked it because um she was just there and she'd observe us and if I if I wanted to talk about things I could um and if I didn't want to you know she was just there and so I had her come oh for many weeks and um then one day she said to me I don't think I I don't think you need me anymore because she said she could just see the change in me physically, you know, from the Mm. first time she'd met me to, you know, how I was interacting with the baby and, you know, I was laughing a bit more and all just my demeanour had changed. Um, Mm. And I was medicated pretty early on. So, you know, you have that period of time, like, you know, three or four weeks for that to kick into your system. So that was a bit horrible. But, yeah, months, I guess. My husband slept in the baby's room in a a, um, single bed, probably for about six months, I reckon, because I just couldn't bear the night times. They were the worst because that was where all my triggers were with my previous baby was just being in the dark with a baby was just like 
the worst thing I could imagine. So he took all that away from me. Yeah. And then one day he said, oh, do you reckon, you reckon you might like to have a go? Or the way he said it, it was like a really kind way. It wasn't like, um, yeah, it was almost like a playful way. Like, do you think you, you might like to try and see how you go? I was like, oh, not yet. No, not yet. (laughs) And I just sort of like, no, but yeah, eventually. Yeah. So within the first year I was back to relative normality in my mental wellness, I think. What was it about the dark and the babies at night time, oh, do you think? I think it was because I couldn't, I had a lot of trouble settling him. And when I'd get him settled, he he would wake up really easily. So it was like I felt trapped in there, I think. It was like that I'm in the dark, I'm by myself, like no one else is helping me and I'm stuck here with this baby sort of thing. It was almost like a, like I was, yeah, yeah, I, like I was not abandoned, but I was the one that had to do it and no one else was going to help me sort of thing. Yeah, and, yeah, it was horrible. And even in the daytime, he'd only sleep for 45 minutes. And, you know, to my detriment, I was reading this book that said, you know, you've got to get him to sleep for an hour and a half, blah, blah, blah. And so I'd be sitting in there in the dark just patting and shushing and patting and shushing, and this kid was ready to get up. Oh, the book told me I have to I have to get him back to sleep. So, and, and with my second child, I was just like, I'm just going to do whatever the hell this kid wants, <laughs> you know. Like it was just like he he knows what he wants in his life. If he wants to get up, he's going to get up. Just you know, I just went a completely different, completely different way. And I, I had a lot of time to think about it. So I had like this list that I'd made of all the things that I'd do differently. And I was actually just talking about this the other day too, about, and it wasn't necessarily practical things. It was about myself, you know, like, don't be hard on yourself. It doesn't matter if the house isn't clean. It's not a reflection on you, how often the baby sleeps. And I was like, it doesn't matter if he has formula or if he's breastfed. Like it was all about taking the pressure off myself basically, because that's Mm -hmm. how I think I'd build up the first one, that it was all about me. I had to do everything. I had to breastfeed him, you know, it was this real martyr sort of mentality, which wasn't very nice. Yeah. And and do you know what the breastfeeding thing? So I really struggled with breastfeeding and I had been told by our hospital like classes yep. that, you know, all women can breastfeed, some just can't hack the pain. It's the only best way, blah, blah, oh. blah. Yeah, I remember writing it down because I was so such an A kind of A like student I was like making my little notes and being like well of course I've I've run long distances I know how to push through things I'll be fine yeah. and when it didn't work no one said to me formula is fine mm-hmm. no one said actually take the pressure off a happy mum is much better for your baby than a mum that's struggling to breastfeed in an extraordinary amount of pain mm-hmm. and then I remember the advice I got was, well, what you need to do is just keep on feeding. I remember calling like the breastfeeding hotline and they'd be like, well, you're bleeding. You just keep feeding through that. And then you're not getting much milk. So what you need to do is feed your baby. Then you need to express and pump. And then you need to go and give them a top up of formula because they're not putting on weight. Then we'll weigh them all the time, like every day Mm. coming to the hospital. And because he vomited so much, he wasn't putting on weight anyway. But then I would be basically given advice just not to sleep like really because by the yeah. time you do yeah, that you do all process, that yeah you're not sleeping like what that yeah. takes two hours and then you're feeding them every two hours because they want you to increase their weight and so yeah. I remember doing the same thing when I went to have my daughter and she's three my son's seven and she's three um 
I wrote myself a note because your hormones change so much. So you think you're going to be this rational person that you are yes. before you have your baby. And during your pregnancy, you're pretty rational. Yes. But for me, yep. as soon as you have the baby, it all kind of goes out the window. And I remember writing, reading my note to myself that said, you are doing this for two weeks. If it's not working, your formula is perfectly fine and your baby will be perfectly fine. And I'm so glad I did that because I did. I just, against their medical advice, because they, they, like, I remember that this beautiful pediatrician was like, well, yeah, you can actually stop, but, like, don't tell anyone that I told you that you can stop breastfeeding. What total bullshit. Like, everybody is unique. Everyone's baby is unique. You are unique. If someone had said that to me, that, like, just like some women are great at yoga, other women produce so much milk they could fucking feed a whole village, and you, like, are one of the women that probably in the village was out organizing the fields because you don't like sitting still. And so someone else would have fed your baby, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's fine. People yeah. just like some women, it's just like all of us are unique. And yeah. even the relationship, I didn't realize is that some babies have a different shaped mouth to the nipple of the woman. And so there was just no way that they'd be able to feed yeah. because the baby has to come to the party just like you do. Not to mention whatever you went through during your birth. Mm, and if yeah, you had a nap, yeah. it was a huge impact. And then also the way that you birthed, now I know, can have an effect on your afterbirth and your matrescence because of the type of hormones and whether there was interruption there, whether you had trauma from that, whether you were low in iron, mm-hmm. all of that goes into milk production. And so mm-hmm. there's just so, it's so, we're so mean in a way the system feels mean yeah yeah and judgy and yeah like you're doing it wrong interested in your perspective on this Mm. this is not something that I have read in a study it's just a gut feeling that I have full caveat I'm a very creative person I'm really great at a lot of things talking music writing doing things that scare other people bloody great yeah admin cleaning turning up on time total garbage (laughs) fire can't run a calendar can't clean the fridge yeah. Tell you the bloody, I don't know, whatever day it is. I don't know half the time. So, like, I have this skill set, but the other type of skill set for motherhood, I'm real shit at. And mm-hmm. I think now, excuse my language, I'm starting your podcast, but yeah. now as I get older and my kids are getting older, I have this skill set that I think is really suited to that. But a lot of the baby stuff is like routine mm. and resting. And staying still all the time and not sleeping that much. And then like being at home in the same place, doing the same thing every single day over and over again. And I wondered too, if you're a highly creative person who also needs that creativity to feel, fill you up Mm. and feel like you and the excitement and adrenaline of new experiences, motherhood rock can rob you of that. Mm. And I'm, I wonder whether that's a piece of it too, that as creatives, and I think we're all designed to be creative, but highly sort of creative people with that scratch in their head that needs to be itched because they constantly have to make stuff. Yeah. That I wonder whether that was a piece of it too. 
Mm, that's really interesting. I can totally resonate with what you're saying about cleaning. <laughs> I seriously, I just, sometimes it's just not even on my radar. I don't even think about it because I'm just thinking mm. of doing things and I don't know. And then I think, oh, shivers, look at that carpet. Probably could do with a vacuum. <laughs> but then do I go do it? Probably not straight away. But you know what I mean? It's like your brain doesn't live in practical land. It lives in, I don't know, this different thing land. Yeah. Which is so much more fun in there. What is? It's so, it's so fun. Much more fun. It's so fun. And also unique and special and great. And I think part of the struggle, and I've written a song on my album called This Mother Thing, which speaks into this. Like the lyrics yeah. are, will you go but also stay? Will you grow but also never change? Um, tiny lungs, tiny beating hearts. This mother thing is full of scars. And it's kind of this idea that as a creative, I just constantly want to be left to my own devices to get weird and make mm. shit and get excited about the world. But then also I love my kids and yeah. I want them to be with me as well. And I'm constantly in this state of juggling of how do I make being a mother and a creative work? Mm-hmm. And and actually I, I think part of it is we need, if you are someone that has that creative urge all the time and you're not great at cleaning, like we actually have a cleaner, which I know is a real privilege, but also is the, probably the thing that saved me mm. in parenting because I just, yeah. otherwise it's a, it's just a disaster. And so I now see my cleaner as part of our company um, yeah. as an employee really. And I would forego many things before I let them go, yeah. <laughs> to be perfectly frank, because our yeah. life would just implode, which I know is a real privilege and not everyone has access to that. Um, but I, But what I will say is, having someone and speaking to Mira from my bookstore in a village context, you would have so many other people around Mm. to do those kind of chores and jobs for you that the light, the load is lighter. And even I'm not surprised that having a mental health nurse come and sit with you was the thing that helped Mm. because really human beings are designed to be in community and with each other. And if you just had someone else with you during those night times who can just say, it's okay, you're doing a great job. And sit down and hear the cuppa, like not even do anything, just be around. Yeah. I just think some people, and I think most of us as humans, we just want connection. We want community, which is what we were designed to have. And yeah. our modern lives in our particular Western Australian context just are really detrimental for our heads and our hearts and as mothers. You know, like I was speaking to a woman on PBS who was telling me in Ghana where she grew up, like she just didn't have any identity loss as a mother because everyone was, she had like aunties, uncles, cousins, brothers, little kids, big kids, people were around and everyone's breastfeeding together. And yeah. she'd seen women give birth around her for a long time. Yep. So it wasn't this like hidden experience. It's same with death. Death mm. is hidden here, but yep. it's not in other cultures. It's a part of everything. Yeah. You know, like her grandparents were buried in her front garden. You yeah. know, it's like that kind of thing, which I'm not yep. suggesting we all do that, but I guess what I mean is like our humanity, our ability to be present and alive in the world and understand what motherhood really means and is, shouldn't be something that we wait to experience until we're eight and a half months pregnant. Mm. It should be like we're breastfeeding with 10 other women and you've seen it happen so much. And if it doesn't work for you, there's another woman there who actually could feed your baby or can tell you, uh, your nipples look weird. Nah, it's probably not going to happen for you, love. Let's get you some yeah. formula. You'll be fine. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, exactly. Yeah, normalizing that experience. I yeah. Think. Oh, yeah. 
Um, when you're talking about the breastfeeding before, that was something, my first child, that I was just like, I have to do this. I remember sitting at the table, my kitchen table, and my mum was there, and I was just in tears because I couldn't get this kid to attach properly. And I, I pushed through eventually. Things got better, and I fed him for a long time. But it was like I had this this ridiculous controlling thing that I had to do it. And my husband was like, oh, do you want me to just go get some formula? I was like, no, don't get the formula. I'm doing it. Like it was just irrational basically. Um, so then with my second one, one of my things was like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if he has formula, you know, fed is best. That was the thing I was telling myself. Not breast is best, fed is best. doesn't matter how your baby gets fed. And just by a stroke of, of, you know, luck, I suppose, not lucky for him, <laughs> but when he was born, he was very, very small um, and he was born by like emergency cesarean. So that's where it sort of all, all of it started. Um, so he was in one of those little humidity crib things, which I've been calling a hot box for a long time, but it actually has a name. <laughs> But it, I just referred to the baby in the hot box. So because he was in there and he was away from me a bit, um, they just gave him formula. I was like, this is fantastic. That's out of my hands now. I haven't made this decision. You know, the pressure's off me. It was just wonderful. You know, mm. like it was bad that he was in there, but you know what I mean? It was just yeah, oh, the, pressure's the best off. thing that happened to me. Like yeah. he can live and without it- me. <laughs> Yeah, and it means that you can get some sleep. And if you're someone that does need a lot of sleep and you're not enjoying breastfeeding or it's hard or you don't have enough milk or a million other things, some women um, take medication they need to have means they can't breastfeed. Mm. Some women have had mastectomies. Like there's just like a million different reasons why you might not need, you might not be able to breastfeed. And it's just not that big a deal. And obviously in an ideal world, like there are lots and lots of benefits to breastfeeding. I'm not saying there aren't, there are heaps. And if it had worked for me, that would have been wonderful. But this idea that somehow we need to guilt mothers about it and be so hard on ourselves, I think that piece, I'm so passionate about women being kind to themselves. And because I think that's where so much of this starts is, and it's not an accident because culture is hard on us, Mm. but then we are so hard on ourselves and then we compare and think about what it should be and if my friend can't breastfeed well that's fine for her but no 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 I must Mm. you know have these ridiculously high standards for myself and I think also um something I write about in my song self so one of the lines that song talks about um I think birth trauma which is what I experienced and I'm assuming you had some birth trauma too from your story so Mm -hmm. part of it is that and actually one in three women I think the statistic in Australia at the moment experience birth trauma of some form which is a giant statistic and I yeah and it speaks into like then the mental health outcomes for that flow on from there Um, and there's lots of reasons as to why that might be the case and part of it is the system there's lots of things that are broken um but that song self talks about that and um, the first line is a woman at the start broken open now thinking that she'll fail you can hold your own damn self yourself can still prevail i remember being told um it won't hurt milk will come push through the pain but i'm bleeding just try harder and um, you should be better at it all here take take all this shame and to me, that feeling of shame and failure and you should be better, why can't you do it, mm. was 
at the crux of so much that I struggled with in those early days of motherhood. And it wasn't just what I was putting on myself. It was the culture that I gave birth in. And then some of the midwives and doctors that I came up against who were so dismissive of me and my needs and judgmental when I couldn't make what I thought, um, you know, what I thought was going to happen, happen with the breastfeeding piece. I just think there's, there's just so much room for so much compassion mm-hmm. and knowledge and education around all of it and love. I think we need to put love back in. Yeah. That's a really good point. And when you were talking about that judgment of of medical professionals, like this kindness, this compassion, like it's like I know they deliver babies every day, like they've done millions of them, whatever, but in that moment you need a person that's going to have your back and going to support you. Like, oh, sorry, I'm going to get emotional, but when the worst, the thing that really, I know this isn't my podcast, this is your episode, but... So I, might, I might cut this out. When, when we arrived at hospital to have Digby, the second one, um, the midwife that greeted us, her first words to us were, oh, you're late. You were told to be here for an early induction. Why, why weren't you here? And it's like I just I almost burst into tears right then because I have this thing just before, like the few days before I have a baby, I get really anxious, like, oh, my God, my life's going to change. Oh, my God, how's this going to get out of me? Like all those big things. And on the way in the car, I was just so anxious. Like both my boys had been induced, so I knew it was coming. You know, I had this time to build myself up into this, you know, frenzy of anxiousness. Um, So when she said that, I was just like, oh, my God, really? Like I'm already feeling so vulnerable and so, yeah, vulnerable. And she just like bang. And then she just kept going. It was like, oh, he's in there waiting for you. It was like, oh, my God, like seriously, you're going to speak to me like this? Like I started, I got really like I was really upset, but I sort of tried to hold it together. And then she said something else about she wanted a, a urine sample and she just handed me the thing and just points to the toilet just goes, go in there. I was like, oh, my God, seriously, like it was just, and I sat on the toilet and I burst into tears and I just thought, no, nah, she's not going to do this. Like this is not okay. And I went back out there and I thought, okay, I can either tell her I want a new midwife or I can just try and make peace with this woman, whatever's happened in her morning, like she's bringing this to us, you know, it's obviously, you know, things aren't going well for this lady. So I basically, I walked out there and I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, look, can we just start again, please? And she just took a massive sigh and she just sort of went, oh, like, like she realized, I think what she, what she'd been doing. And she was totally different from that point. Um, apart from <laughs> right at the end, where we went for the emergency Caesar and she went and stood next to the wall. Like I can literally see her now. I'm pointing. She was at the wall, stood at the side of the wall with her back to the wall and just left me to it. And I was so afraid and so like, because they'd they'd already stuffed up my epidural. So I could still feel my contractions down one side of my body. He put it up too high. And so my, at one point my lungs, like my breathing was compromised. Um, 
all this sort of, you know, stuff was happening. So I didn't trust that they were going to get this bit right. Like I was in fear that I was going to feel everything. That was my biggest fear. And so they were like um, holding like a bag of ice on me. Can you feel that? And I said, I can feel the pressure. Like, but can you feel cold? Like they were like, not attacking me, but they were like, but can you feel it sort of thing? It's like, but I can, I can feel you touching me. Am I supposed to feel that? You know, I was, they're using their medical terms and I'm using, well, I can, I can feel you touching me. So I was just in total fear. And thank God, this beautiful, amazing um, theatre nurse came over and she held my hand and she stroked my head and she said, I know you're scared. It's going to be okay. We're all here to help you. And I, and I burst into tears because like, thank God somebody cares for me sort of thing. You know, it was, again, maybe they've got themes of abandonment and stuff going on, but some, I needed someone to help me. Um, and she was amazing. And I, that entire, that entire um, cesarean, I could, like, obviously you feel them pulling and whatever, but I laid there in fear because any second now I thought, I'm going to feel something really painful. Like I was just so afraid. Plus obviously I was afraid for my child because he's, you know, he had to be gotten out quickly. Um, yeah, just this this kindness, kindness and compassion. And even, you know, people mean well, but like, and my sister and I both talk about this, like nurses that had come in to help you breastfeed or whatever. Oh, what are you doing that for here? Oh, what's wrong here? What's wrong today? But just the language they'd use. I, I I was in tears at some point because some woman just looked at me and said, well, what's the matter with you today? And I was like, oh, oh, like it just set me off. Like, you know, you're so vulnerable and you're at the, you know, you feel like every nerve ending's exposed and everything's going to set you off. And then someone says something so off the cuff and they don't mean anything by it, but you just lose it. And it's like, they don't know that, you know, they don't see that they're, everything they do has an impact on us at that time. Mm. So yeah, compassion, love, caring. <laughs> After I'm all so that. sorry. Oh god, I'm so sorry for that experience. And I hope you leave this in because I think oh. the more stories that yeah. we can, I'm like tears now. I know it's horrible, um, isn't it? Let me tell you that shame isn't yours to hold. Your body born. This way Let it sit Let it sink in Cause you're beautiful And wonderfully made Cause you're beautiful Listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. Do you know what I know now, having spoken to a lot of women in this space? And there's a podcast episode I did with a friend of mine, Kim Beale, who's a womankind physio, mm -hmm. and she does birth preparation and lots of things. She said one of the number one things to indicate that you're going to have a good birth is feeling safe. Because when you think about a cat, they will go under the house in a really dark, warm spot. It's really enclosed. It's very quiet. Yep. In order for your body to do the things that it actually needs to do and it naturally should do, 
you need to feel so safe and your body needs to know that you're safe. It's not even just your mind. It's Mm -hmm. your body as an entity needs to breathe that safety in and that calmness. And it's so fragile and precarious. So if you have a person, like I had a woman when I went into labor and I started singing into the pain, I was told to shut up, get back on the bed. You'll exhaust yourself. Stop making that noise. Oh my God. Yeah. And I now know that singing into contractions, if you're a music person or just anyone, that hum, that vibration (laughs) is perfect. It's perfect for opening you, opening your cervix, allowing for you to give birth. And I just think that even just that interruption, let alone how that woman spoke to you. And I had other interactions with her. Mm-hmm. Of course, your body, when you're already anxious and then your body is supposed to what open, mm. of course, things are going to go right. Not to yeah. mention intervention and sometimes intervention is necessary, but there's so much research showing that if you intervene early, then things are more likely to be more painful, like with um, inductions and things mm. I was induced to and things just cascade mm-hmm. and having the power and the knowledge that you need to set up this birth space for you in however that looks, however weird you might think it is, particularly as a creative being. Mm. Like I think about what I like and need when I'm making music, when I'm in my zone. I didn't think about my birth like that. I thought about it like a medical procedure when actually I needed some weird and wonderful dark space with like insane music and candles and like really cool witchy women in with me. So I could sing my way through it, you know, and it happened with my daughter. But by that point, I'd had such a um, a sort of difficult birth injury from my son that I had a planned cesarean with her because I just couldn't envision having lifelong or worse injuries than I already had with him. And, And in hindsight now, I kind of wish that I had been able to have a birth where I felt I could sing her into the world. Yeah. And it still breaks my heart because she's a singer. She's already singing as yeah. a three-year-old. My son is so creative too. And I I get so sad thinking that I could have sung her into the hook. Her very first sign of life was this vibration. Yeah. Um, and I also think that's not my fault and it's, it's not something that I'm just, I'm sad about. And I think it's important to acknowledge you can feel sad but not beat yourself up about it because mm. you're stuck in a system that isn't designed for you. Yeah. And so I'm sorry that experience happened to you too. So sorry. And I also feel like for other women going forward, for my daughter, I'm just so passionate that she can find if she decides to have kids, if my little boy decides to have kids, like that they've got all this knowledge they're armed with so that it may not go the way you plan and Kim Bill will say that in that Tonks episode like it may still go awry you may still end up with an emergency cesarean but if you've got this kind of birth map where you know from the outset right when I get in there these are the people that are going to be there I know them and they know me Mm -hmm. they care about me that's a big one they really care about me whoever they are whoever they look like if they're a midwife I've known for year, for my pregnancy, if they're a friend who's also given birth, who's going to make me feel safe? But then if things go wrong, these are all the different things that will happen. Because yeah. then if you feel in control and educated, 
you're less likely. I was terrified too. God, I had surgery afterwards and that fear of you just not trusting that they yeah. will do the right thing. And that's smart because they hadn't, didn't do the right thing. Mm. They did, they stuffed up your, um, you know, epidural, which happened to a friend of mine too. Hers fell out of her oh. back and oh. no one believed her. They said, we put it in. You can't be feeling anything, you know, like that. <sighs> Because yeah. there's also inherent misogyny in the system mm-hmm. that stems from that Christian Christianity, really, and that idea that Eve was cursed in childbirth. And so from that point on, you can see that in the medical profession, that women's yeah. pain overall is just less acknowledged, less believed. For babies as well, for my son's reflux, it quite took me six months to get a diagnosis. They just don't believe you. Mm-hmm. It's weird. A particular, yeah. And they think like endometriosis, all of these different conditions. I speak to another naturopath called Freya Lawler about endo and chronic stress and hormones. I'm just so passionate that women get as much information, not only about their birth, but also about menopause, how we go through our birth will affect how we menopause, about how we integrate our hormones, about the changes in our bodies and how our hormones fluctuate, how to care for and eat better so that when we do have these hormonal changes, when we enter perimenopause, which I didn't even know anything about, mm, um, so. that we right yeah. that we know why we feel rage, why we feel exhaustion, why we feel brain fog, and how to eat and exercise around those things. And part of it is bringing our stress levels down, thinking about what our life looks like, and whether it's actually sustainable in its current form. It's mm. just so much care and knowledge that needs to be put back in that we used to have mm. that's been taken from us. Um, even talking about periods and all of that stuff without shame. Like mm. I just think it's just so important. And I think podcasting is a great medium for that too. Mm. Doing having these discussions because, and having like you talking about your um, birth like that, I'm so hopeful there's someone listening to this that is a midwife or a doctor or an obstetrician or someone in the hospital setting because I found that with telling my story in my songs now that I do and I did a live show over the weekend where I did the same thing because so many of the women I've met since who are midwives or maternal health nurses have said to me, yes, I can imagine exactly who that woman was that, that said that to you. I've, yeah. I've met her, I've met someone like her, but yeah. also it's a great reminder for us because we are just ticking boxes. We're going through the motions. We're exhausted. We're tired. We're underfunded, undervalued. Mm-hmm. And so like that woman you met, yeah. you've had a, she's lived a whole life before she's got there. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. being reminded that for each woman that comes in, it, this is life or death for her, mm-hmm. but for you it might be the seventh woman you've seen for the day yeah. and how precarious and fragile and in need of love and care we are in those spaces and and allowing us to bring the love of the people in our lives if we're lucky enough to have them into that room Mm. or at least the people that we'd like to be there and not just thinking it's a purely medical thing Mm. you know because I think that would have made a difference for me too so anyway gosh how did we get to here (laughs) I don't know (laughs) But uh, no, I have got a couple of um, medical people that listen and there's one midwife in particular who often will message me after some episodes and be like, suggest they'll suggest the name of maybe the doctor that I talked about or someone they know. Like, we're, And we're a relatively 
smallish. I mean, we're not a small town, but we're a small regional centre. So most people know who people are. So, you know, if you're listening, Yvonne, hi. <laughs> Hello, Yvonne. Oh. And I will Love say Yvonne. as well, through this work I've been doing, taking this album around, the kind of like the so so for example on Sunday at the Wesleyan there was this old pub it was it used to be a church and they've made this kind of band room we had candles everywhere and all these women came it was so incredible and just like midwives maternal health nurses women who were physios women who were interested in birth women who were just mums who've like had a rough trot or just brought their mother's group along and then there were couples that came and we had Lauren Beatty who's a psychologist who now runs these sessions called maternal journal which are bringing mothers into circle to journal and make art basically of their experiences and so she spoke about matrescence and then I played my story and my songs and we all crying it was like a packed sold out room still can't (laughs) believe it happened um still wild to me but just the feeling people said to me afterwards I feel lighter I feel seen I feel connected Mm -hmm. I feel like so many other women in my life are going through something that I didn't know about or their birth story they told me in a kind of funny way but now I actually understand how traumatic it was for them and I noticed when the show finished rather than people leaving they all sat for ages having a glass of wine just like laughing and talking yeah that's and that that's it I've been starting to do regional shows now because I do think women in regional areas uh, from what I've heard from you too are much more isolated in lots of ways. Yeah. And I did a, did one in Yakandanda and one in Mawala recently. I'm doing another one in Shep soon. Mm-hmm. I'm just really passionate now about taking this show on the road, Alison. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go and make women cry all over the country. <laughs> oh, I love it. But that's it because it's like be there, but really it's that meeting of all of the professionals in the space and the women who have cared for them, cared mm. by them kind of connecting and bringing empathy back in and understanding. Mm. Can you come down here, please? (laughs) I would love to. Genuinely, I would bloody love that. Oh, yeah, Yeah. seriously. Seriously. That would be, we have to talk about that after. (laughs) Totally. I'm actually planning a show in um, Newcastle and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about going to the Northern Rivers. I'm yeah, planning little adventures. I've actually also been invited to go to the UK, would you believe it, in oh, July. Oh, congratulations. I know, my God, for two weeks. I'm going over there with um, Amy Taylor-Sabaz, who's a oh, activist. Oh, yeah. 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 She's amazing. I know. Oh, she invited me. I know. I'm oh, so I excited. It. So yeah. we're going to go play music to women in the UK and Ireland um, oh. and Scotland. Yep. And just for two weeks, I'm taking um, my music producer, Zeke, who's 30, this like big burly bloke with tats. He's coming too. He's like going to play music with me and he's a lot of fun. So um, very special. But, yeah, let's talk. I would love Mm. that. Yes. Now, I've just realised that I haven't asked you um, about your children. How many kids do you have? (laughs) I have two. Um, One is three, my daughter, and then um, my son is eight. He'll be eight in October. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So are they coming to England or are you having a trip? I'm going on my own. So I talked about it with my partner, but Lucky, he's um, amazing. And also we've just co-parented from the very beginning. We're lucky like that. We both work from home in the company together. So Mm -hmm. um, he's probably a better parent than me in some ways. He's much more routine and like 
he's great. So I'm very, very lucky to have that and also family support too. So yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Be a long time me to be away, but how and how are you feeling about that? Like one of the topics that, and I'm not winding, like leading you into this to say that you have to feel this way, but I'm just linking it together. Um, that we have we have this thing called mum guilt in our society. Unfortunately, um, are you feeling you know apprehensive about going or leaving them because you're going to do something that doesn't involve them, or are you like, yes, I'm going. <laughs> Okay, this people are probably going to turn the podcast off once they say this. I reckon, no, put that guilt in the bin. Yeah, put it in the bin. Do you know it took me? I have huge amounts of guilt about a lot of things over time. I was raised Catholic; it's part of it. The guilt yep. thing, giant, giant guilt. And so, but but what happened to me over the past couple of years, speaking to woman after woman, person after person, um was I started to hear this guilt, mum's a guilt thing, like of the wanting to be with them but wanting to be away, that this mother thing song speaks into this constant struggle. Mm -hmm. And I just realised I ran hard at this creative project last year. For the first time in my life, I prioritised my work over my husband's. I prioritised it over a lot of other admin things and cleaning and I just threw myself into it with as much gusto as I possibly could. Um, partly to save myself I think because I was at such a low point it was the thing that brought me back into myself and what I've realized is I thought my kids would a suffer hate me I'm the worst parent everyone's going to think I'm a terrible mother all of this stuff Um, and that was my greatest fear in doing that and so I didn't do it for a very long time but what was kind of interesting about throwing myself into this work and creating something I'm so proud of is that like my son started drawing me for the first time. He usually draws like Pokemon Transformers and sometimes his dad. And instead, yeah. there I am, front and centre in his drawings. There's a big heart on my chest with me standing on a stage. Yeah. And he sees me as a person, not only yeah. as his mum, which is a really special thing. I know also I'm privileged to have a partner who is on board and I trust completely with yeah. all of it. But part of doing that was also writing down the list of everything I was doing for the mental load. So there's been a lot of layers of it. It didn't happen overnight, this mm-hmm. one of the guilt in the bin thing. Yeah. It's like a lifelong process. It'll probably be back tomorrow. Who knows? But um, I sat down with him and I wrote down everything that I did in our lives. Like I did the admin for our company. I facilitated so much of his creative work plus all the kids stuff. I wrote it down from the get-go. In my new detail, for example, uniforms, what size are they? Where to buy them from? How much are they? How many pairs? Like yeah, every thing. he did the same. And I thought maybe it would be equal. And we looked and it was so powerful to see though that because he, he thought it was equal really. He's a one, he's so aware and amazing that mm-hmm. he could finally see all of the things. And now... I don't micromanage anything anymore. He takes on board like so many things and I it's not a boss employee relationship, it's a boss boss. So mm. he'll be like the vaccinations are due, I've booked the GP appointment or mm-hmm. the kids this person's going to a party and I've bought the present, I'm going to drive them it's on Sunday at 10 o'clock. Like yeah. that enabled me to fully expand into this creative project. And so the mother guilt thing I just don't think serves us. 
I just don't think guilt is a is a helpful emotion. I think rage is. I think love is. I think empathy is. I think compassion is. I think um, being critical in a way, particularly in your art or like self-critical, but in a way that's like I would call it as when I was a primary school teacher, being a critical friend, you know, yeah. like being real with yourself about like what you could improve on. Um, but the guilt thing doesn't help anyone because I'm still going to do it anyway. So or what am I going to do? Spend the whole time feeling bad about the fact that I'm enjoying myself? Like get in the bin. Give yeah. that shit. Renee <laughs> Brown would say, I love this, this idea of tempering joy. And I grew up doing this a lot, but like I can't enjoy this too much because something bad will happen. Or what if this happens? Or like seeing your kids asleep and be like, oh, they're so beautiful. What if they die? You know, like this whole idea that yeah. you're like, oh they're so beautiful oh but i failed them you know like yeah constantly tempering our joy but it doesn't actually change the outcome Mm. so now i'm trying as best i can mum get it in the bin fully running towards the creative project that i get to do feeling bloody lucky and privileged that i'm getting to make it knowing that i think it's important for me as a human for my kids and for my daughter to see me making and doing and being a full happy person and oh well, if they go to school and their uniform labels peeling a bit, and I don't know, they've had to forage around at the back of the cupboard for some biscuits to put in their lunchbox. So be it. <laughs> Bravo. They learn, they learn from you. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. That's it, isn't it? And and that, that this whole, I don't know, that what we're trying to do of of breaking that that cycle and and changing. Um, this patriarchal society and all these things we've talked about with healthcare and, and and mental wellness and things like it has to start somewhere. And if we keep showing our kids that what we're doing is okay and acceptable, then they'll just keep doing it in their next generation. So we have to make the changes and we have to let the kids see the changes. Mm, Cause kids will do much more of what they see than what you tell them mm. and what you yep. want. And when I have my daughters, especially, but for my son, just the same what I want him to be is a person that isn't always happy because no one's happy all the time, but is content, finds work that fills them up, is purposeful, that has meaningful relationships, that is kind to themselves, that notices the world and is curious about the world, that um, understands their place in things and feels connected. Mm. And for them to be that, I need to be that. Mm. And I'm not going to be that by obsessing over whether or not I've mopped the floors every day and how perfect my hair looks and whether my kids are perfect. Like I have a friend who I text our messy cupboards to, and I love that. <laughs> That's gold. Like, <laughs> text your friends your mess. Uh-huh. Invite them over when your house is a disaster zone, not when you've spent like an hour being sweaty and crying, fixing it so that it yeah. looks perfect. So when they arrive, you're like, oh, this old thing. You yeah. know, like just... <laughs> And obviously I still do that too because I I carry a lot of shame around making things clean and having that organised stuff. But I think that's the real stuff. That's connection. Mm -hmm. That's what heals us. That's what makes us um, whole and what will make our kids whole. Let me tell you, they're not going to remember how perfect your house was, but Mm -hmm. they will remember how how you made them feel and what they see you do in the world. Mm. Yeah, so well said. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. Oh dear. I feel like I've got to shake myself down. You know, when you <laughs> talk about things and you're like, <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's, that's a real ability. That's what I did before I get on the show and yep. like ducks do and dogs yep. do. You just have to shake off that 
shake off all the stories and the emotion. Like genuinely, that's why humans yeah. should do it more. Oh yeah, like, just like really, you know, yeah, shake. yeah. Like there's a song on Play School about shake your sillies out, and like you, that's what you, you've got to get it out of you, so then you can sit down and be calm. <laughs> Exactly. That's why Absolutely. in yoga they do all the asanas and then you sit down and meditate afterwards. It's like you've got all the movement out of you. Yeah, yeah. I totally oh. believe that. I think so much of healing is movement and mm. often now I've thought to myself it's body to mind for me anyway. Yeah. Like talk yeah. therapy is great as well and has its place, but I think so much of it is like getting your body right, getting your gut health right. Yeah, that's something else that science is finally catching up with, like, you know, Western medicine's finally realizing that all the naturopaths have been right for so many years about your gut health. Love it when that happens. Oh, it makes me laugh. I was thinking about my friend and hating my hair when you walked across that room. I couldn't help but stare and you said hello there. You said hello. What I wanted to mention too, I've been listening to your album, the the Matrescence album on Spotify, which it's just, it's such a, um, I don't know, it feels so reassuring. And I think from people that have been through this stuff, when you listen to it, it just makes you, like you said, it makes you feel heard. It makes you feel validated. Um, But there's a couple of tracks that I was really, I thought were pretty cool. How at the start of, and at the start, you've got this, incredible like inhale and exhale and was that like a deliberate thing or did you accidentally do that and then decide to leave it in there because I just love it thank you look I I, yeah see I've done it now um so that particular inhale happened when I wrote that song because when I song write what I do is get very still and I wrote that song in the back room of my singing teacher's studio I was by myself very rare to get that as a mum, I think, but mm. that's what I needed. It's almost meditative for me. And that song came out in about 20 minutes in one yeah. go, yeah. like a story. Oh, I love it when that happens. It's like you know that it's meant to be like that, don't you? It's just, it, yeah. just, it just pours out of you. Yeah, yeah. it's like a creature, I feel. And <laughs> that particular moment was, that was when I, I, I record, the way I write is I have a voice memo recording so that I can just capture it all. Sometimes I'll be walking and stuff and I'll capture that. But I had the voice memo on. And if you listen really closely, there's like a feedback speaker as well, kind of making a sound yeah. that we then used in the track. And also um, there's breath, there's a beat track that runs through it. Um, and, yeah, that was from the original, the moment when I wrote it. So oh. I took this like inhale, exhale of breath to kind of centre myself. And then I wanted it left in there. That song was the first one I brought to Ezekiel from the music producer. And mm-hmm. he'd seen some of my other stuff. And that was a brand new one I'd written like the day before. And I was like, this is what I had so clearly in my head. I wanted the snare drum running through it. I wanted this to use that breath and use that speaker sound. And yep. yeah, so we used the original voice memo. Quite a lot of them in the, in the album have like original voice memo recording. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. I love Thank that. Thank you. Um, and the other oh, thing I really like too is um, in one of the tracks, Free, I think it is, um, where there's the, 
there's a child counting, like bringing in the yeah. tempo. Is that one of your kids doing that? That's my daughter. Yeah. And, you know, she was jumping off the bed. That's the same. It's a voice memo. She was jumping off the bed and just counting herself down and championing oh. herself again, again. Like that's just her. She's her own biggest champion. Oh, I love She's it. super loud and joyful. And so yeah. I just grabbed my voice memo on my phone and recorded it. And I would say that for anyone who's a songwriter, that voice memo app, that mic's actually really great. Yeah, so the quality is so very good. <laughs> Isn't it? So I just like captured it and then I took it to Zeke and was like, I want to add this in for free and started in. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's like Thank you. I don't know, like it reminds me of um years ago I went to a training co- training course, a local person that was telling people how to run their Instagram accounts. And they said, You've got to keep like because she, I did a like a one-on-one with her and she said, you've got to keep your own account, your private account separate to your singing account. You've got to create a new account just for you and have a, keep your singing one. I'm like, but that's me. Like, that's who I am. And she's like, no, but that's that's like your business. That's your thing. I'm like, but that's, and I, I didn't do it because she was telling me to take all these things out and change them. It's like, but everything that's in that account is inspiration to me. Like my children are massive inspiration to me. And I love that you've got that crossing over in your actual music that you're releasing of, of you know, your children and your singing. Like it's literally the two worlds are together. I just love that. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. That's such a big compliment. <laughs> and I agree with you. I think people have a lot of opinions about how you should do the things. And I really think for me that you just have to follow your gut really Mm. deeply and the thing that you know the most and the best is your lived experience and when you make art from that deep-seated place like and and you can feel like it's small and very specific and kind of weird but actually everyone's their own special unique brand of weird Mm. and you're more likely to touch people when you're making art from these really specific close places and I think that with social media which is this kind of unfortunate beast that we're all in Mm. but it's connecting and yeah I don't have a separate one for a you know it just all lives in my account really I have someone else that runs one for Tonts Pod and Tedestal but we don't do much on there because really I just yeah I want to make it from that place and I I don't speak too much about my kids and I don't use their names because I'm also conscious I want them to choose how they represent themselves when they mm-hmm. decide to. Um, yep. But definitely I wanted to just be to operate my music and my art and the same with my podcast as much um, with as much heart and integrity and honesty as I could mm-hmm. because that's what I needed. Like I really did it selfishly. I think um, there's a mate, an amazing book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Have you read that? No, I haven't. I read that. Oh, my God, you'll love it. As a creative, it's just like I go back to that book like the Bible every so often, just like her voice just sings out at you and there's a really great section where she talks about Tom Waits and his songwriting oh, and yeah. how he sees songwriting as creatures, which I had never, I've always felt like that and songs follow me around and I just thought everyone had that. Turns out. No, not the case. People don't get drunk and then write songs into their phone in the toilet cubicles at the pub. I thought that was 
I thought that was um everyone. No, turns out not. Um, but you know, but he, she, he. There's a section in there about his creativity and songwriting, and he talks to his songs and like, come on, mate, you got to get on the bus, stop mucking around. And anyway, but this particular book, Be Magic, gives so much great advice for creatives. Um, and one of the things she said is, for the love of God, don't make something for everyone else. Make it for you. Mm-hmm. And then if other people love it, cool. Mm-hmm. Like she's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. She said she wrote that book for her. Turns out lots of other people saw themselves in it. But yeah, that's so that so the whole album I made for me, I listened to those songs like Friends when I was struggling in different parts of my life, which sounds weird that you might listen to your own music, but they're friends, they're friends of mine. I wrote them because that's what I needed in particular moments, and I sing them in particular moments um, Mm -hmm. too. conversation I can't remember who it was with now but it was someone to do with music the music industry and it's like it's literally an industry it is a money-making machine and if you're going to try and get into that you've got to be prepared to let go of who you are and what your voice has got to say because you're not going to be doing it for yourself you're going to be doing it for someone else who's trying to make money out of you so it's like don't write music for other people that was literally where we're going we're going with it same thing like if someone resonates with what you've written, that's amazing. That's like that connection is incredible, but that's not why you do it, you know? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, um, I guess what I would say too, in my, it's such a privilege. And my, my therapist, um, Jules, who's just this incredibly amazing person and a creative too, just says to me, don't put the guilt in the bin. Don't talk about like age or where you're at or shoulda, coulda, woulda, all that bullshit. Yeah. bow down to the altar of the fact that you have the time and resources to make the art you want to make. And I'm at a point in my life and I'm very privileged to say this, that I can make the music I want because it's completely independently funded mm-hmm. and I can do it how I want. Yeah. And the power of that, I think, and, and at this time in my life as a mum, not a lot of women have that space and time in their life when I'm writing from this particular moment. Mm. from this new early parenting phase when the kids are little. Um, And I'd also say too that I couldn't have written this music when I first had my newborn. I needed enough time to pass. Someone said, if you can't write from trauma, you have to write from a scar. Mm. And I think that's really valuable advice too. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Oh, yes, because... going to talk about myself now again because I haven't done enough of it on your podcast Claire um that <laughs> I've I'm at the very end of an album that I've been working on for I'd say almost three years about my postnatal depression and mm. it's only six tracks but do you think I could do it within you know any quicker no because I think that's the thing you have to you have to let time go and also to be able to I mean you have a lot of my stuff I've written from the point of view of I was back in there and that's really hard to go back into. So sometimes you have to let a lot of time go before you're ready to actually go, okay, I can go back into this now without 
make letting myself, I'm not going to fall apart if I think about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's very true. That, that mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. I can't wait to hear that album. Oh, oh my God. Neither can I. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so different. Like my first album I made, what, 2019. And it's all just very, very underproduced. It's like acoustic instruments. There's a couple of upbeat tracks, but this is just like hardcore. They're calling it a dark pop. So it's like oh, there's a lot going that. on. And this, the tracks run chronologically from when it first came, when I first got the postnatal depression, like a couple of days in hospital, um, up to Happy Wonderful Land. So the tracks, you know, from the musical standpoint, like through the instrumentation and the treatment of the songs, tell that story too. So I'm really, really happy with with how it's gone. And, yeah, it's it's been a long time, but I don't know. It, I think it just had to be that way. <laughs> you know, things just happen yeah. when they happen. And also I'm a busy to, person. <laughs> yeah, but I totally agree with you that thing, art takes time mm. and really good art and truthful art takes as long as it's going to take. Yeah. And you want to just feel like you've left nothing on the table. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And that was, I particularly felt like that with this because, I mean, who knows what I, if I'm going to get another opportunity to, write, to, you know, have an album come out, you know. You just don't know what life will give you. And I don't know, I'm a little bit conscious too that, you know, because I'm an you know independent artist, that the money's not coming from elsewhere. So it's like, you know, am I being really self indulgent using, you know, family's money to do this thing? So it's like I, I wanted to do give it the best go it could have, you know, and mm. make all the sounds that I wanted it to make and go back and forth with the producers because they're in Spain and Argentina, the people I'm working with. So. Oh, wow. It's like I've if and I'm the sort of person I, I've been a bit of a people pleaser sometimes with my music. If someone's had a suggestion, I'll be like, Oh yeah, that sounds fine. And really inside I'm going, No, I don't like that at all. But I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be the person that causes trouble. I want you to like me, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But with this, I've gone, No, well, I'm paying you to make this and I don't have to talk to your face to do it. So I'm gonna tell you if I don't like something. Yeah. Which I really haven't had to do much of, to be honest. They've been pretty amazing. But yeah bit conscious of, of, you know, you never know when you'll get your last shot at something. That sounds really morbid, but not, I'm not talking like I might no. die necessarily. I'm just, it's like, you know, I'm 40, how old am I? 45. I hope my voice lasts forever, but I mean, I've had two, I've also had two rounds of COVID. So I don't even know, like I tried to sing yesterday and uh, it wasn't that great. So I don't know if my voice is actually permanently damaged from, you know, COVID, pneumonia, COVID again, bronchitis for the last six months. Like who knows, you know, just in general mm. life. So mm. anyway, sorry, I'm rambling a bit now. but No, you're not. It <laughs> makes so much sense. It absolutely <laughs> does. Because you're right. I, I completely believe that. And I think art, like, you know, it's jewellery for the inside of people's minds. So does it matter? Mm. No. But also, yes, absolutely all of it matters. It's the most important thing. Mm. And I think that's that, that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about, that those two things can be absolutely true. Mm. that if you're going to make something you make it absolutely the absolute best that you can and and I think as women particularly we're socialized to not be difficult to want people to like us all of that stuff but we just need you need to trust your own instincts in your own gut and go it's not good enough it's not good enough it's not good enough and Mm -hmm. I want it to be this I want it to be that this is my vision and and I think blokes have been doing that for a very particularly white blokes a very long time you know and I think 
the more interesting art is coming from that place where you you don't want to ever think that you've got to the end of it and gone oh just that bit Mm-hmm. What if I had taken that risk? What if I, yeah. you know, go back into the work when you think it's done and, you, and you're like, well, it'll probably do. No, mm-hmm. you go back in and you go back in and you dig a bit deeper and you, and that's what I think I felt at the end of my album that like, however it comes, whatever happens after this point, I know that thing within the inch of its life. I decided how, you know, and I worked with Zeke and I was lucky in that he was really amazing to work with. Um, and also could do what I wanted and I mm-hmm. could hear it, but I could tell him, no, that's not what I want. This is what I want and change it and put ego out of it. And yes. so I was yeah. very lucky in that collaborative process. But I think also I just, yeah, like you were saying, you just want to feel like you've given it your absolute best shot. So you're proud mm. of it. Yeah. And then you walk with it in the world. It doesn't matter if anyone else likes it or not. You yeah. are proud of it. Yeah, that's it, isn't you it? You yeah. know every inch of it. And you can be like, well, look at this thing that's amazing that I've done. And mm-hmm. then you know in your heart when it's really as good as you could have made it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing like yeah. too, you know, you're talking about hearing bits and thinking, oh, you know, I wish I had done that. I do that so much with my first album and to the point where I actually – re-recorded some of the songs with other people, with other producers, um, and did remixes of them because I just felt like, and also it was very rushed. Like we did it in two weeks and it was just, I'd never recommend doing that. Well, I wouldn't do it again. That's why I've taken three years to do the next one. Um, But, you know, it's just like bang, 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 it's got to be done. And it's like, no, there's so much that I listen to and I think, oh, Jesus, I wish I'd said something about that. But then, you know, over time I have the opportunity to, (laughs) <laughs> to re-record things, which is also privilege. Look up through lashes, brief touch, whisper, laughter. Do you want to? I think I need you to. Let me show you how to feel. I want to ask you about when are you going to the UK? So it's just happened a couple of days ago. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm going, I'm leaving on the 28th of June. I'm going over there for the 1st of July, mm-hmm. um, most likely for a conference. I'm playing at a conference and then I'm just going to be touring. So Beautiful. I'm currently figuring out how to do that, what venues to go to, mm-hmm. um, where to play. I'm going to Exeter. There's a group of women down there who are running Mothers Who Make, which are these big kind of motherhood creativity stuff. So mm-hmm. going there to do some a little couple of songs and shows. But really I'm going off my own steam with my music producer, Zeke um, and Amy. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just putting on shows, probably ticketed shows in pubs and that kind yeah. of stuff, learning how to do that as I go. Um, but, yeah, really super excited about it. So, oh, and then I have a awesome. show. I actually have a show in Sydney on the 30th of July at yep. the Great Club in Marrickville. Oh, um, yes. T- I know um, Alison who runs it. She used to oh, live in Mount really? Gambia. Yeah. She's a wow. pretty awesome singer herself. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, well, I sort of I saw that there was women who running it and I thought I want to be involved in that. And I haven't yep. actually been there to the venue, but I've, from what I've seen, it looks really cool. So yep. I've actually got Amy... Um, 
Michaela Kabaz, who's been a speech first. So she's mm-hmm. doing a speech about matrescence. And then I'll perform my album. And there's a dancer from Sydney called Ariane Beeston, who's also an author, but her book on perinatal mental health is coming out this year. And she's written about her experience of postnatal psychosis. But she actually sent me a dance that she'd created to my song Self um, over Instagram that just blew me away. I didn't know anything about her story. I just saw her dancing and I saw in her movement that she understood me. Yeah. Jeez, that's pretty pretty powerful, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah, so she's going to perform um, a duet with me. So I'm going to sing Self, which is that song about breastfeeding and, you know, woman at the start broken open now and that story so she's going to dance and I'm going to sing um, yeah, right. Amy will speak and we're going to tell stories and yeah so the tickets are available now for that and that's on the 30th of July oh beautiful well I'll put the link to your website in the show notes and oh, so people can you. click on there and see all your goodies it's a lovely website who does your drawings of like on your album and, and your little icons and things Oh, my friend Annabelle Warren. So she's an illustrator from Melbourne. Um, she's a friend of my brother's actually. She's great. And I had a vision for the Im- image of the front cover and I drew it in pencil. I'm a terrible visual artist, awful, yeah. but I had the vision of it and so she kind of brought it to life. So. Yeah, it's lovely. Got the Like the heart is like exposed. It's like, yeah. What well, Talk about that a bit, about your idea for that front cover. Yeah, so I wanted an image that would capture how I felt when I became a mum. And to me, that's it. It's like having you, everything is exposed. I was like a raw nerve. Mm-hmm. And also I think that idea of an open heart, you are changed and your heart is now kind of walking around in the world without you sometimes. They're at school, they're eating lunch, mm-hmm. you know, your kids. Um, yeah. And I wanted to show like also like I'm not wearing any, it's not a nude painting, but it, I don't have any like clothes on. You can just see me down to my clavicles with my open heart. Yeah. It's kind of also reminiscent of sort of um, biblical art as well. And I got the inspiration too from Florence and the Machines album Lungs. You know, she has her lungs exposed on her oh, artwork. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but really I wanted an image that would capture all of it because I actually when I drew that image I didn't know I was going to call it matrescence I didn't know that word I just was writing what I was feeling and the songs aren't just about motherhood they're about because of the complexity of being human really and Mm. having big feelings and so for me I'm a very deeply feeling person and my heart is very close to my skin all the time so um that's what I wanted to capture Mm. yeah yeah Yeah. no I it it definitely works (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's really good Is there anything else you wanted to mention before I let you go? I know we've covered um, a lot today. <laughs> we have. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate oh. it. Oh, look, um, I would just like to say, A, if you're a mum listening to this, you're doing a great job. Be kind to yourself. Give yourself a massive hug. Make a cup of tea. Put your feet up um, if you can. So that 
I would love to say again. <laughs> um, what I would also say is if you want to find me, I'm on Instagram at Claire Twenty. That's probably where everything lives. Yep. My website, Claire20.com, is the other spot where you can find about all my events and ticketing and all of that stuff. Um, I've got beautiful T-shirt designs too. So if you like the artwork, you can grab oh. a T-shirt with some of them on. There's a moth, awesome. which is just each song has its own symbol. So when you come to my show, I give you a lyrics booklet, like a an old school CD cover that has a artwork for each song and each oh, one awesome. has a symbol. So self has the moth because it's the idea of transformation in the darkness and moths seek light. And to me, that's what motherhood and mothering was um, in those times, so much time spent in the dark waiting for the light to come. And I was transforming and I didn't realise. So that's that kind of, I have a T-shirt with the moth on it for that reason. Um, really powerful symbol, lots of things to do with the moon as well, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can find me over there. Um, I have records as well. I would also say my podcast, Taunts, the new season will be coming out later in the year, but I've got three seasons worth of really rich discussion with women and diverse voices about lots of topics. If you're particularly interested in chronic stress and hormones and you're feeling depleted, go and find that episode with Freya Lawler. I tell you, you won't regret it. It's um, mm. the story of how I healed outside of music, um, everything I did from food and medication and looking at diet and testing and just mm -hmm. lots of things that helped me recover from long COVID symptoms. Yeah. So right. that's a really valuable one. Um, and yeah, come to a show. And if you want me to come play in your area, I would bloody love to. I'm looking for places to come and bring the music. So if awesome. you're someone out there that thinks your group of um, parents or women or community would like some music, hit me up. Mm. That's it. Yeah. No, good on you. Oh, look, thank you, Claire. It has been so lovely. And thank you for spending so much time with me today. I've just looked at the clock and just almost That's made fine. it to, well, after before my little stuff up in the middle. You know what? You know how I fixed the camera? I literally turned the computer off and on and then it started working. <laughs> That's so, the IT crowd, isn't it? There's oh, a yes. in that. Have you tried turning it off, it off and, and on? on? I always joke about that. Someone made a joke once about if your car wasn't working, you just get out shut the door, open it, get back in again, and it should work. <laughs> it's like a computer. <laughs> I actually often think that human beings are the same. Sometimes we just need to turn ourselves off for yes, a bit and then turn do. it back on, reboot. We need to reset. Yeah, reboot. Yeah, rat, oh my yeah. Gosh, and actually yeah. that's what people could do for me as a favour. Just go <laughs> radical rest. I'm really all about that. Radical More rest. Nast. Oh, just gosh, rest. yeah. Just bloody Seriously. rest. Seriously, yeah. So much can be solved in life with a bit more rest. I know mm -hmm. that's a privilege, but I also think some of the things we do, we do out of obligation and guilt. Chuck oh. it in the bin and have a nap. <laughs> yes, there you go. Chuck it in the bin. That's, yeah, the, that's the theme of this show today. Chuck it in the bin. <laughs> Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum. <laughs>